Does anyone struggle with prayer? Anyone ever feel like giving up? <coughs> anyone <laughs> struggling to persevere? Well, this parable is for you. And we know that because Jesus tells us right at the beginning that's what it's about. That's really helpful, isn't it? Well, parables that are prefaced with, this parable is about this. <laughs> that's really, really handy. But Jesus is talking in particular about prayer in the face of difficulty in life. Um, and it says, he told this parable say that to his disciples that they would always pray and never give up. So that's where we're going. But before we do that, before we get to the kind of prayer in the face of difficulty, I want to talk about um, prayer in general. Because actually this is an invitation, not just uh, an instruction of how to act. God's speaking to us through his word and Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He's inviting us into a deeper knowledge of uh, understanding of our relationship with God. And that's founded on a deeper understanding of what prayer is all about. So we're going to talk about prayer um, in general, and then we'll come to this kind of perseverance in the face of difficulty towards the end of the sermon. Um, so in the parable, it's worth just taking a bit of a note of these two characters that are in the story. We have, first of all, the judge. The judge is not a good chap. That's the point. I mean, he's, he's a comical I mean, he, 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 Jesus describes him, he says, he doesn't fear God nor man. And then he says to himself in the parable, I don't fear God or man. You know, it's kind of, it's, it is, I think, we're meant to laugh at him. He is a caricature of a wicked man with power. He doesn't fear men. That's a good thing in a judge. That's why we have justice with a blindfold, you know. Doesn't fear men. That's a good thing. But he doesn't fear God either. And that's not a good thing in a judge. He doesn't, and the whole point is, he doesn't care about anyone. He's just there for his own benefit. That's the point. So he, he is this guy who is just downright not nice. Okay, that's Jesus' first point. And then we have a widow. Now, a widow in the culture Jesus is speaking to had a special significance. It wasn't just someone whose husband had died, but she, was, she would have been very, very vulnerable socially. She would have, the, the, the implication is that she had no man that, that she would have needed in that society. No husband, no brother, no son in, to fight her case for her. What was her case? We don't know. So she faced some kind of injustice. But the point is that under normal circumstances, had she had someone to help her, they would have been able to go to the judge and present her case for her. But she, she doesn't have that. And so she's, she's left with nothing but her perseverance. And so she comes again and again and again um, to plead her case. And the judge is having none of it. He doesn't want to hear it. He's just not interested. He's dismissive, probably because she's a woman probably because he's selfish, all these things coming together. And yet, she persists so much that in the end, he says, we translated it in the NIV, that she doesn't eventually wear me out with her coming. Literally in the Greek, uh, it's, it's an idiom, but it's literally that she doesn't give me a black eye. <laughs> That's what it is. So he's sort of saying, so she, you know, I won't end up battered and bruised by this lady's perseverance. I'll, I'll hear her case and I'll give her what she wants. I mean, and it's remarkable, isn't it? And I think there's something like Jesus, all of Jesus' parables, there's something so familiar about that. We can actually imagine that happening. It did happen. There was a really famous case. Um, Philip II of Macedonia, who was the father of Alexander the Great, had exactly this happen to him. He had an elderly woman came to his court and demand justice. And he basically said to her, I'm too busy to hear your case of some random woman who's just wandered into my palace. And she, so she said, she shouted at him, and give up being king! <laughs> and he was so shocked at her boldness that he actually heard her case and uh, acted on her behalf. So, you know, it's realistic. It's, 
actually happened in history, but we can kind of get into the story and, and imagine a wicked man who's really selfish just being worn down by this woman's perseverance. So lovely, isn't it? I've taken so long to explain it. Lord Jesus does it in just like three sentences. To be able to preach like that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, but here's what the Lord says. Listen, he says, verse 6. Listen to what the unjust judge says. He doesn't repeat it. He says, listen. What's his point? What's his point? His point is an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's making a small point, if you like, about someone who's wicked, someone who's imperfect. And this man acts on his woman's behalf. And he's saying, if this man, with all his faults, gives in and gives this woman what she wants, how much more will your Father in heaven listen to you and act on your behalf? God doesn't fear God because he's God. (laughs) He doesn't fear men either, but not because he's unrighteous, but because he's perfectly just. So he's, he's a bit like the judge, but he's the opposite, isn't he? He's not just, he's not disinterested. He is interested in you. He loves you. He loves all of his children. And so when we face, um, he wants us to absorb this, the truth of this. And, and the reason he does that is because prayer is such a puzzle. Why does Jesus need to give this warning at all? Because so often, like you guys admitted right at the beginning of the sermon, prayer is hard. And what is the temptation? When we pray, and we keep going for a bit, and nothing happens, we think, we begin to think, don't we, that God is a bit like that judge, but actually a bit worse. Because he doesn't eventually give us what we want. And so we give up. Unlike the woman, we stop praying. Or we're tempted to. So again, ever been tempted to stop praying? Ever tempted to give up? And he's he's saying, if this woman didn't give up with this wicked man, how much more should you not give up when prayer is hard? When prayer is hard. We're tempted to think of God like this judge, or even worse. And Jesus is saying, you couldn't be further from the truth. It couldn't be less true. He's He's not, he's not, God is our judge, but he's more than our judge. He's our father. And he invites us into this incredible, incredible relationship with him. So when, and so really this is the, God's, he, like through his word, he wants to do heart surgery with us this morning. We're tempted because we have this, uh, because of sin in our lives, because we can't see who God is, because we're blinded by, you know, our own weaknesses and so on. We, we, we feel like orphans and we feel alone and completely vulnerable and we come to pray and we just can't, so often we just think, what is the point? And so we don't pray. And Jesus is saying, it's like the opposite of that. If you could see things from my perspective, Jesus is saying, you would never, never, never give up. No matter how hard or how unyielding the heavens are, how close they seem to be to your petitions, you would never give up because you would see what is being achieved in you and in the kingdom of God and in God's heart as you pray to him. It's the opposite of this this picture. God is so, so ready to give us what we ask for. So God is saying that to us, and to some of you, specifically and directly this morning. Some of you have struggled with prayer. Some of you have given up. Some of you have attempted to give up. Some of you are praying, but you're kind of thinking, I really don't see the point. 
about small issues and really, really big things. And Jesus is saying, don't give up. Prayer is an incredible privilege. This is the, the first thing, really. Because it lies at the heart of our relationship with God. We talked about that, I think, was it last week? We talked about how's your relationship with God. And this conversation with God where we we don't just ask him for things, we tell him what's on our heart and you know we talk to him and we listen to him, but actually where we petition him and ask him for things is actually at the heart of relationship. But that's why it's so important. And and this comes down to who God is in himself. Who God is in himself. You know, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that is a mystery, isn't it? We're never gonna get our heads fully around that. But in the person of Jesus Christ, we get a, a window into the inner life of God. And what we see is that Jesus prays to the Father for things. He doesn't just share his thoughts or share his heart, but he actually asks God for things when he prays. What does that show us? Why does Jesus ask the Father for things? Does the Father not know what the Son wants? It says in the Bible he knows what we need before we ask. So it's not because God the Father doesn't know what the Son wants that the Son asked him for things, is it? No, that's okay. I know we're doing a bit of theology, but you can, you're clever enough, you, you, you'll get it. Okay, does the Father need to be persuaded by the Son? No. So what is it about? It's about a relationship. There is a real and meaningful relationship between the Father and the Son. There is an exchange. There is asking and giving. And giving and asking. And, and that's just, it's just so straightforward. It doesn't need a lot of explanation. Relationship is intuitive, isn't it? It comes to us very naturally. We understand. If you had two people who walk side by side and never talk to each other, never ask one another a question, never ask or gave, that would be a really weird relationship. Even if there are no specific needs, even if the other person knows what the other person wants or needs, if there was no asking or giving, that would be weird. That's what, that's at the heart of relationship. So why does God want us to pray? Why does God want us to pray? Because he wants a relationship with us. Because he wants a relationship with us. It's, it's odd, isn't it? But it's true. You know, in um, Exodus 17, Israel are on the way to promised land through the wilderness and they encounter the Amalekites. And there's this battle that goes on and Moses has to stand with his arms up in the air praying. And if his arms drop, the Amalekites start to win the battle. And when he lifts his arms up, the Israelites start to win the battle. In the end, he has two helpers to hold his arms up to win the battle. Why did God need him to do that? Is there something magical about his hands? Is that what's going on? Is it magic? Does God need persuading? Was God intending for them to lose the battle? No. God doesn't need any help. He doesn't need anything. What does he want? He wants to show how seriously is this relationship with Israel that he wants for them. He doesn't just want them to be servants who merely do his bidding. He wants partners who will work with him. Actually, eventually we find out, and we find this in Jewish literature, but really it's only fully revealed in the New Testament. What God is looking for in his people is a bride. For a bridegroom. He's looking for a people to marry. They're incredible, incredible level of responsibility that God gives to us. And he's serious about involving us in his work because he's serious about relationship with us. Does that make sense? 
we are invited, this is the incredible thing of the heartbreak, we are invited as Christians into a relationship with God. And that is what prayer is all about. Isn't that astonishing? God is pleased to use our requests for his glory. He's pleased to give us things that we just want. (laughs) Astonishing. He is pleased to relate to us. And this this understanding of prayer as a relationship is so helpful. It's helpful because one of the key things about relationship is that there's freedom in a relationship. You know, that actually prayer is meaningful. We can come up with caricatures of prayer that you often hear it said that when I pray, I don't change God's mind. That is true, but that, that can be like a get-out clause for kind of explaining away why it seems that God doesn't answer our prayers directly. You know, God's mind isn't like our mind. It doesn't work quite the same way. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So when we say, I don't change God's mind, it's not quite like saying, I haven't changed Nick's mind. It's not quite the same thing. God might have more than one thing in his mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, you hope you know where I'm going with that. That wasn't meant to be an insult, Nick. <laughs> so we talk about God's pleasing and perfect will, and in prayer we come to know what his good, pleasing and perfect will is. But God is not a man. He is infinite. He is transcendent. That means he's not interwoven with his creation. And so there is real freedom. Prayer is not a charade whereby God has one thing in mind, and we pray and he says, nope, not that, nope, not that. Like a really bad teacher who's got an answer to a question but doesn't tell, them, tell the students. Nope, not that, nope, not that. And eventually, after five minutes or ten years or however long it takes, God says, oh, you've asked me for the right thing and now I'll give it to you. That's not a relationship, is it? God actually invites us to ask for things and responds to our requests. There's real freedom there. So, you know, just take an everyday example, just to, to ground it. If I say to the kids, let's go to Crawley in the car, because of where we live, and some of you will know this very well from experience, we, we could go by Worth. Couldn't we go down past Worth Abbey? Or we could go down to uh, uh, Pound Hill, down past Station, we could go right, and we could go down to the Duke's Head Roundabout. And they're all about the same distance. It's really annoying. Because you, know, you think, which way shall I go today? <laughs> and the kids might say, so I say, let's go to Crawley. And then one of the kids will say, can we drive past Worth Abbey? Well, why not? Why not? You know? Why go this way and not that way? Well, it's like, that's an analogy. It's not perfect, but it's an analogy for how things are with God. God has a will in mind, but he's very happy for us to choose as well and to work with us and to have input. Does that make sense? I know it's every day. I'm trying to use very everyday things deliberately. You know, I remember hearing very dismissively a guy. You know, I can't remember who it was. I, I just know he was a Korean minister. And this is neither an endorsement nor a rebuke to his writing. But I remember reading this guy's writing and he was talking about prayer. And he said he had a revelation one day that he, his prayers weren't specific enough. And, uh, and he was basically, he was asking God for, for transport, and God said, no, I want you to ask for a bicycle. Have you heard this story before? Okay, and he prayed for a bicycle, and God says, you're not being specific, I want you to pray for a blue bicycle. So he prayed for a blue bicycle, and he said, you're not being specific enough, I want you to pray for a blue bicycle of this particular model. And so he prayed for, like I don't know, it was a rally or whatever, rally, a blue rally bicycle, and then 
someone came, knocked on the door, something like that, and gave him this bicycle. And I remember reading this book and being very dismissive because it sounded to me like what he was saying is that prayer is a bit like magic. You know, God is our servant, our Amazon delivery driver who just, you know, serves up whatever we want. And um, now, this is, like I say, this isn't an endorsement or anything. But actually, you know what? He knew more about prayer than I did when I read that book. Because what he understood was not God is our butler. It's not like that. But he understood that God wants a relationship. Meaningful. That actually he does invest us with a freedom to ask for very specific things. Now, you know, what I don't know about his wider theology. I can't remember the guy's name. But you see, there's something real there. We can run away so far from <coughs> this idea that we're somehow being uppity and demanding or making God our servant. But actually we miss out that the extreme privilege we have of addressing him through Christ as his children. He delights to give us the things we ask for. I think that's good news. I think that's okay. (laughs) I think I walked between two uh, theological minds there. (laughs) I think that's really good. So why, okay, God delights to give us things we we ask for. Why don't we always get what we want? Why do we get a blue bicycle and not a healing? You know? Why are we frustrated in prayer? If God is so willing to give us things, what's that all about? Well, the simple answer is the children always get what they ask for. Hopefully not, is <laughs> the answer. So if my children said, if I said to the kids, which should we go to Crawley today? And Charlotte piped up, um, which way should we go? And Charlotte piped up, by the beach. <laughs> because she's three and she doesn't know. Well, it would be a bit silly of me to say, yes, well, maybe in a fit of extra- extravagant generosity, <laughs> we'd, we'd go by Brighton and get some donuts at the pier or something. <laughs> but most of the time, the answer's got to be no for that. And the reason we don't always get what we ask for is because we are children in, in our relationship to God. And we, we don't understand his good, pleasing and perfect will, which isn't one thing. We don't understand entirely his way of doing things. But if you fast forward that relationship to an adult relationship, where there's asking and giving and receiving, actually, almost always, let's say between a husband and wife or two good friends, where there's asking and giving, there's hardly ever a, no, let's, you know, which way should we go? What should we have for dinner tonight? No, I don't want to do that. You know, not seriously. And God is inviting us into an adult relationship where actually, because we understand him so well, because we know the way he works, because we know his mind, because we love the things that he loves and we hate the things that he hates, whatever we ask for, he will give us. Not because there's only one thing he wants us to ask for. There are many things he wants us to ask for. But because we understand his mind, because we have the mind of Christ. So we don't always get what we ask for, but as we learn to pray increasingly, as we learn to be children, as we learn to work with God, we unite our hearts and our wills to God. We learn the way he does things. We know what he wants to do. We, lo- we know what he loves to do. And we ask increasingly according to his will. We've become his children. And this is what Jesus means when he talks about asking in his name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete, he says in John 16. That's what he's talking about. There's a great joy 
and God answering our prayers and that. Great joy. I remember, uh, many of you know the story of uh, George Muller and his orphanages and how they would um, wake up in the morning and there'd be no bread for the children, no milk, and someone would knock on the orphanage door or, whatever, or go through the gates or whatever it was they had and say, oh, I've just got a load of bread that I couldn't sell. The very morning they needed it. Or the milk, I think a milk float or milk cart broke down or something outside the orphanage. And they had to give all the milk to the orphans because it would go, go off otherwise and things like that. I had the privilege when I was about 15 of seeing the same scenario worked out in an orphanage in Kenya where for 25 years they've been going and every day they had no money. Every day they would wake up and they would pray and God would bring goats and sacks of maize and all sorts of things through the doors. And the, the guys who started that orphanage had the most amazing testimony. When he, when he arrived in, in Kenya... He found these two boys on the street. He, had not, he only had a place to live, and he, um, they were living on the street. He wanted to give them a home, and he prayed, and he asked God to provide clothes. And the next day, a package arrived from India, uh, from England, um, that his sister had sent with clothing for two boys of that age. But she'd sent it four or five days before he'd prayed. Isn't that amazing? Why did Muller have success? Why did this guy, John Green, in, in, in Kenya, have? That kind of success, that joy of seeing his prayers answered again and again. Because he's praying according to God's will. He's put himself in a situation where how, you know, God's not going to be, fail to answer these things. And, and that, that's what God wants to encourage us with this morning. Think about your own life for a moment. Now, is it, it wouldn't be modest of me to recount. I mean, you know, it would be inappropriate for me to account all the ways that God has answered specific prayers in my life. But he has, I'm pretty sure, I can be confident, he has answered specific prayers in your life, hasn't he? Things that actually, if we're, if we're talking about like a master-servant relationship or a judge-widow relationship, you've got no right to expect him to answer. But if we're talking about the relationship between a father and a son, a father and his child, just the kind of thing he delights to give you. Can you think of something right now that God has given you? Where your joy has been made complete? Isn't it wonderful to re- recollect that? Can, that can, the, can the experience of that in the past encourage you in the present? Can Jesus' words speak to what you're going through at the moment? So there's freedom in prayer, and God loves us to have that. You know, something else... Uh, uh, amazing is going on, apart from that freedom, apart from learning to be his children, asking according to his will. Prayer, actually, when we express our needs to God, it actually increases our ability to... <laughs> I'm going to say this slowly, because I'm, otherwise I may not understand it. Hang on. <laughs> Prayer actually increases our ability to receive what we desire. I'll say that again. Prayer increases our ability to receive what we desire. And again, that sounds complicated, but we know this from relationship. We know this from relationship. If you invite someone around to your house and you don't tidy up and you don't change your routine and you don't make a fuss of them when they walk through the door, it seems like a bit of a non-event, doesn't it? Yeah? And actually, you kind of feel like you've done the person a bit of a disservice. And there's, there's some lack of depth of friendship there. But if you invite someone around to your house and you show it's hospitality to them or generosity to them, 
It's not just a one-way thing. Something deeper than that happens, doesn't it? Actually, something you, you, the person receives a blessing, but somehow, by giving more, you receive more. We know that, don't we? Like, uh, if you sing along mindlessly in worship, no, 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 just going through the motions, you know, and someone may not know what's going on in your heart, but actually you, you won't receive from God what you would if you throw yourself into worship or into prayer. You, you know that, right? Those who are watching the uh, All Blacks play yesterday, they do their hacker thing where they stick their tongue out and all that sort of thing and they wind themselves up. There's something about that, isn't there? That's something powerful. And they, all the other teams just stand there with their arms around each other, like staring. It's just a bit, mm. <laughs> like they don't really know what to do. And there's something powerful about it. What is it? They, they're throwing themselves into this match in a way that makes them more sort of able to receive the, the, the ability to play well. Isn't there something about that? Or, or when we say to someone, you express the words to someone, I love you. Somehow that opens up your, it doesn't just express your love fully, it opens your heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? And prayer is just like that. Not only is it about freedom and relationship, not only is it about learning to be God's children, but it actually changes us so that we are more ready to receive the thing that we ask for from God. And sometimes God won't give us the thing we're asking for until we're really, really ready for it. Because we'll waste it, or we'll miss it, or we'll miss the, the deep joy of relationship. So if you wonder why you have to persevere in prayer, that's another reason. God said to the people of Israel, Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me. When? When you seek me with all your heart. Why? Because he's standoffish? Because he's not generous? Because he doesn't really like us? No. Because he knows how we're wired. And he knows that sometimes we're not ready to receive what we ask for until we really ask for it. Until we really ask for it. So God invites us this morning into this incredible privilege. Incredible privilege. We're not like the widow. On our own, fighting against an unjust judge, trying to get a hearing. We are not even like a servant. We're not even like an exalted servant for a very beneficent master. Who, you know, we, we get an appointment, we go in and we make our case and he listens carefully and says, mm, on balance, yes, okay, I think you've made a good case of your prayer. I will give you what you ask for. No. We are children of God through Christ Jesus. He delights to hear our prayer. And if we struggle, if we struggle, there is no flaw in God's character. There's no persuading of him that you need to do. God is working on you, changing you, making you ready to receive what it is you ask for. Does that sound like good news? Yeah. When do we most need to know this truth? When do we most struggle? We, we This widow's opponent, she has this person, she needs granting justice an adversary it's described as, verse 3 when we face an adversary, when we face a foe some difficulty in life when we face trials we're going through something difficult, that is when we are most tempted to believe this bad character report about God and we're most tempted to give up isn't it? That's it. certainly that is the case for me I'm most tempted to give up on God when I'm going through something difficult, some personal trial some spiritual attack, some temptation. 
God, where are you? Why have you led me to this place? What on earth are you doing? Maybe you're not as rude as me in prayer. But I've said those things to God. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Or we look at the evil in the world around us. Of course, isn't that the time when we, we, we feel most discouraged? We look around at the evil in the world and say, God, how could you let that happen? Or we see injustice, Lord, how can, how can you let people get away with this stuff? Why are so many people suffering? Isn't there something we can do about this? Or when the church is under attack, false doctrine is taught, people go astray. <coughs> and the gospel doesn't seem to prevail and our hearts cry out, you know, God, what is going on? And we just, isn't, when we're under attack, you know, the enemy is, he wants us to shut our mouths and we're most tempted to feel like that. And actually, in this passage, Jesus is talking about, ultimately, about, the, we, we learn later on in the Bible, there's going to be a, a great apostasy at the end before Jesus comes, which means a big turning away when Christians will be tempted to think it's all over. We don't know what it'll be. We don't know exactly how it'll work out. We don't, you know, we don't know those things, but we know there'll be some, some great trial before Jesus returns where every Christian will be tempted to give up. And stop praying. And think, think about, so he's talking about that big picture. Think about the people he's speaking to. He's speaking to the disciples. Twelve disciples, no church, hanging around in Judea. You know, nothing is set up, nothing has happened, no doctrine written down, New Testament is not even written, no church is nothing. Imagine what trials they faced. What personal trials personal temptations, what injustice they saw, how unlikely it all seemed to come to begin anything, how futile it must have seemed as they faced execution, most of them. What a waste it must have seemed like. And these words are the words Jesus wanted ringing in their ears as they faced that stuff. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. In these moments, that's when we need to hear those words. So if you're going through a moment like that, whether it's in your life or in the world around you, you just feel like, you know, I'm done with this prayer business. Jesus is saying, don't be done with it. Don't give up. Why? Because God is not like the unjust judge. There is absolutely no question of God's faithfulness. The only question you have is, what does the prayer of a faithful child of God look like? And fortunately for you, we have a living example in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it look like? Yes, it can say, Lord, if it's possible, please take this cup from me. Please let this thing not happen. Yes, it looks like that. But it also looks like, yet, not my will, but yours be done. It looks like, not, oh, is there some way you can intervene in this road to Golgotha? It looks like, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what the prayer of the, the only begotten Son of God looks like. And it's a model for all his adopted children. So when we're in that situation, God is not absent. He's not far away. He's not not listening. He is inviting us into a child of God response.
make me Christ-like. Lord, strip me of sin and all the ways it hinders me from knowing your love. Lord, make me wise like Jesus. Make me just like Jesus. Make me strong like Jesus. Give me the words to say. Change me. Let me love people in the middle of this situation. Let me give you glory in the middle of the situation. Free me from fear. Let me love in the most difficult circumstances. God is waiting with fatherly expectation. Heart bursting with pride as we speak out words that belong to his children. What situation are you in? If anything. God's word says to us this morning, set your mind at rest. You're in a relationship with the Father. Ask the Son. Ask Jesus to teach you. Let the Holy Spirit lead you to be free, to understand his will more and more. And he will. This is the promise of this parable. He will vindicate you. Most certainly, you will not be let down. Because God is not like the unjust judge. So in all these things then, we see the reason for the end of this this reading, the Lord's explanation, it, it jars somewhat, doesn't it? Yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It seems to suggest the answer is going to be no. What's that got to do with everything we've just said? What Jesus is saying is this. There is no question of God's faithfulness. The question is, will you be faithful? In prayer. When the world turns away, when all seems lost, when you're so tired of the fight you can hardly keep your arms up in prayer anymore, when all you have is the mustard seed of faith, this is just, you know, it's, all it is is you can utter a word, help Lord, or whatever it is. Are you willing to plant that seed in faith? This is what the Lord Jesus came to give us. This privilege of relationship. Will you take up the offer? That's God's question. Of learning to be a child of God. Learning to be a co-heir with Christ. Let's not talk it down. Learning to be a brother of the Son. Learning to be the bride of the bridegroom. And speak to God, not as judge, but as father. Will you do it? Let's pray.